your Bible, if you'd open to John chapter four today, we're eventually gonna wind our way around the John chapter four, Gospel of John chapter four. And while you're opening your Bibles or scrolling down your devices to get that, I wanna ask you a question. Have you ever heard about the activity called people watching? You know what people watching is? If you were to ask my mom what was her favorite activity when we went to the shore every summer, it was people watching. She just loved to, at some point in the trip there, sit on a bench on the boardwalk and just watch people as they would walk by. And I'm going to guess that many of you are in that same category. I mean, there are a lot of places you can do people watching. If you have a long delay in an airport, what are you going to do? You're going to watch people. Um, You know, if you're out shopping with your wife or husband, what are you going to do while you're waiting for them? You're going to watch people. What do you do, you know, in a concert? or a stadium, when you're at a sporting event, you're waiting for it to begin, you watch people. What do you do at the Westland Peter Fair? You get a funnel cake, you go to one of the high tops and you watch people, right? That's what you do. What are you gonna do when we have communion later and you're waiting for people to walk down the aisle? You're gonna watch people. Don't tell me the spiritual thing. No, you're you know, head down and eyes closed. You're going to watch people. A lot of you are. Now, if I'm wrong about that, okay. But a lot of us do that. People watching is this big event that many of us take our part in. Now, sometimes we do it unconsciously. Sometimes we do it very intentionally. And I got to think about people watching this week, and I thought, I wonder if it's really a formal thing. Like, is there a definition for people watching? Guess what? In the Oxford Learner's Dictionary, this is the definition for people watching. People watching is the act of spending time looking at different kinds of people in public places because you find this interesting. Isn't that great? That's the definition of people watching. Now, it is not just you and me who loves to watch people. Jesus is the chief people watcher. If there is anybody who loves to watch people, it is Jesus. And he is perfect in his people watching because he has 20-20 vision for people watching. See, when Jesus looks at people, he sees their past, their present, and he sees their future. Now, here's the deal with us. When we are people watching, we see what we see right now, their present. We might know a little bit about them, so we might be able to see in our mind's eye their past. But how many of us, Honestly, truly, when we look at people, think about their future and especially who they could be if their lives were changed by Christ. How many of us really look at people and think about who they could be if their lives were changed by Christ? Let me tell you something. When Jesus looks at people, he looks at their past, he looks at their present, and I guarantee you that when he looks at their future, He looks at who they could be if they would trust in him and walk faithfully with him. We don't always look at people with the eye toward who they could be if their lives were changed by Christ. That was actually the case in John chapter 4. Jesus had a different vision than his disciples in this passage. And he took action to correct their vision and open their eyes to the reality of lives changed by Christ of the people they were looking at. Now the story in John chapter four opens at the very beginning with Jesus and his disciples, the 12, and they are leaving Jerusalem, Judea, southern Israel, and they're making their way back home to Galilee. Now if you look at a map of Israel, here's Jerusalem, here's Galilee, and in the middle is a region called Samaria. Samaria was a hated region for the Jews, 
Jews considered Samaritans to be half-breeds. They, they looked at them with a racial bias and a religious bias. They didn't measure up. They didn't like them. They actually hated Samaritans. And so self-respecting Jews, if they're traveling from Judea to Galilee, are going to find a way around Samaria, not straight through it. Not Jesus. Jesus, as he goes back to Galilee, finds a way right through Samaria. And as he finds his way right through Samaria, he finds a little village called Sychar. It's lunchtime. Apparently, the disciples are hungry. They're thirsty. So they stop in Sychar. The guys go into Sychar, the village, to get food. Jesus stays on the edge of the village where there's a well. And so he sits down. Here comes a woman out to the well with her water jar. She's coming out to get her water for the day. She puts her water jar down at the well. Jesus looks at her and says, could you give me a drink of water? She is absolutely shocked. Do you know who you're asking to give you a drink of water? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, you're asking me for water? Yes, I am. And if you knew who you were talking to, you would know that I could give you living water. Living water? Wow, I would like some of that living water. Now, I'm paraphrasing this for you for purposes this morning, okay? So what does Jesus say to her? Why don't you go get your husband and come back? And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. You had five of them, and the man you're with now isn't your husband. And all of a sudden, our 21st century sensibilities kick in. We say, well, how rude of him to say that. He has a purpose. Suddenly, she realizes that this man knows her. She wonders who he is and how he could have that kind of insightful knowledge of her. And so she begins to engage him as a prophet. And you know what she does next? What anybody would do, she changes the subject. Instead of talking about my husband's, she wants to talk about worship. And she talks about how the Jews worship in Jerusalem and, and, and how they Samaritans do not. And Jesus then picks up on that conversation and he enters into a spiritual conversation about who the Jews are and who the Samaritans are and who the true father is and what true worship is. It is worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman is all ears. And when he brings this conversation to a close, she says to him, I know that Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus looks her in the eye and he says, I am he. I am the Messiah. We know later from this encounter, this woman's life was transformed. She met Jesus. And that's where we pick the story up. If you have your Bibles open, verse 27. Just then, his disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? So then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes 
and look to the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the same one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. As I read that passage, did you notice the two times in these 12 verses where the disciples actually struggled to see what Jesus was seeing. They were looking in the same direction as Jesus, but they saw something very different from him. The very first of those is in verse 27. Look at it again. Verse 27, just then his disciples returned and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Some of the, some of the translations say they were shocked like their socks were knocked, well, they didn't wear socks. Their sandals were knocked off. But no one dared to ask him, what do you want or why are you talking with her? I always find this interesting. Somehow the disciples early on didn't realize that Jesus knew everything they were thinking and could actually hear the whispering. No one asked him, what do you want? Why are you talking with her? In fact, among themselves, they said, He's talking to a woman. He's talking to a woman. He's talking to a woman. Now we look at that and we say, what in the world is this? What does it matter that he's talking to a woman? The rabbis of Jesus' day had a saying. And the saying was this, a man shall not talk with a woman on the street, not even with his own wife, and especially not with another woman on account of what men may say. How about that? You know how it is in, in these towns. Did you see that? Will Martin was talking to his wife Barbie on the street. I mean, honestly. Out at the Brethren Village, they'd be talking down in the dining room. Will and Barbie were talking in the hallway together. I mean, really. That's the way it was in Jesus' day. Men didn't talk to women. So they return and Jesus is talking to a woman and they're all worked up. And not only is she a woman, but she's a Samaritan woman. We don't talk to Samaritans. We don't talk to women. What's he doing? In the eyes of the disciples, this woman was a sinner. She was a sinner who was not worthy of conversation because she was a Samaritan woman. And there was no love. And there was no vision for healing. Why is he talking with her? But in the eyes of Jesus... She was a sinner, a sinner whom he loved, a sinner for whom he had vision for the healing that she needed because of the brokenness in her life. There was an unconditional, unreserved love that Jesus had that the disciples did not. Jesus and his disciples were looking at the same person, but they weren't seeing the same person. They were looking in the same direction but they were seeing two very different people. And I want to say to you today, isn't that the way it is sometimes with us? We look at people so differently than the way Jesus looks at them. We don't always see people the way he sees people. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't or we can't. It simply means that we don't, but we should and we must. Well, that wasn't the only place in this passage where the disciples' eyesight failed them. If you go on in verse 31, 
they shifted their concern from the woman because they lost that one to Jesus, and they're now concerned about lunch. Lunch, of all things. Rabbi, eat something. Now, I'm sure that their concern was genuine here, and I really do believe that, because after all, you know that we all need to sit up and take nourishment from time to time to keep up our strength, and Jesus was no different than us. He was human. He needed to eat as well. But the last thing on Jesus' mind here was lunch. Lunch wasn't his priority. It wasn't his focus. Look at verse 32. Jesus responds to Rabbi eat something by saying, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And the disciples kick into gear again. They say to each other, well, could someone have brought him food? Who, who started the meal train and who brought him food? And they're all worked up about this. It was probably whispered among them, but Jesus heard it. And so once again, he knew that they couldn't see what he saw, so he addressed them directly. This is what he said. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In other words, fellas, I don't have time for lunch right now. I've got a mission to fulfill. I've got people to save. Now what we don't see here, and you have to go back to verse 30 to get this, is that when he is speaking these words, he is not just speaking them to the disciples with the woman in view. By this point, there is a whole crowd of Samaritans who are making their way out of Sychar at the invitation of the woman. Jesus is standing there. The guys are saying, Rabbi, eat something. He's saying, I don't have time for lunch. Do you see what's happening around us? My food is not That fish and bread, it is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. There is one other occasion where Jesus uses the word finish. Do you remember when it was? Do you remember? On the cross. What did he say on the cross? It is finished. Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's looking in the same direction that they're looking And he's seeing something very differently than what they are seeing. They want lunch. He wants people. It isn't lunch time, fellas. It's harvest time. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. This is not a wheat crop that he is talking about in Samaria This is people who need the Lord. This is the spiritual needs of people. And when Jesus looked in their direction, his heart broke for them. And he had vision for them. He could see their sin. He could see their brokenness. But he could see who they could become. If they would but believe in him and follow him, as Savior and Lord of their lives. And so what does he do? He commands his disciples, open your eyes. Open your eyes. Say it with me. Open your eyes. Say it louder. Open your eyes. A little louder. Open your eyes. And do some people watching. See them the way I do. It's not lunchtime. It's harvest time. Now that that command, open your eyes, begs a couple questions. 
And the first one is this, what are we looking for when we open our eyes? Well, we are looking, friends, for those who have not yet made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And we are looking for them in our circles of influence. We're looking for them among our friends and our family members. We're looking for them among the people that we work with or go to school with. We're looking for them in our neighborhoods, in our communities, wherever we belong to a club or an organization. What are we looking for? We're looking for people who would, who would need what we have, a new life in Jesus Christ. And so as we look for those people, we begin to pray for them. We begin to care for them. And we begin to share Christ with them. When, when I first went to Baltimore to pastor a church, I complained in the first couple of months to my bishop, who was then Dick Catermall, and I said, you know, I, I, what do I do? You know, how do I find people to grow this church? I'm supposed to be a church planner. Where are all these people? And he said, you're making this too hard. I said, but I, I'm looking at the neighborhood. I don't know these people. He said, pray. Ask the Lord to introduce you to people who need Jesus. Then when he does that, begin to care for them, genuinely care for them, love them. And as you do that, and the Lord opens the door, share Christ with them. This really cool thing happened in about May of 1999. Jenny and I and our then three girls moved to our home in Smoketown on, in Lapridge on Fleet Line Street. And um, we, we moved in March, March 9th in 99. And round about May, we had a knock on the door one evening. And so we opened the door, and here is standing Mr. and Mrs. Givler. Now, Mr. and Mrs. I see, Jeff and Vonda, you might know the Givlers from, from Eastbrook Road. So they were standing, she was standing at the door. She had a basket with her, and in the basket she had home-baked goods and canned goods. And she said, you're new neighbors, and I'm visiting all the new neighbors who are moving in here with a gift to welcome you to the neighborhood, which was great. So we invited her in, she sat down at her kitchen table, we start talking, and she asked us whether we had a church home. And we said we did, and we went to Grace Community Church in Wall Street, she said, well, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. She said, oh, really? And we had a great conversation. And it turns out that she was visiting all these homes, and she was blessing people, and when she would find people who didn't have a church home, she would invite them to church, and engage them in conversation about their faith. When I found out that that's what she was doing, it kind of felt badly that we should return all the baked goods and the canned goods since we already had church home, but she insisted that we take them, so we did. And then she told us this story. She said, you know, since you're in ministry, I can tell you this. I always loved sitting in my front window on Eastbrook Road in the early morning to do my devotions. And I'd look out over this beautiful meadow and I'd be thankful to the Lord for his beautiful creation. And when that meadow got sold and they started building your houses here, I kind of got a little frustrated. You took away my meadow. You took away my beautiful meadow. And the Lord convicted me and said, I'm giving you a new field. Go and care for that field. And that's when she said, I decided that I would visit every one of the new neighbors and bring a gift and build a bridge and begin to share Christ with my new neighbors. We make this so hard.
take a pie. If you can applesauce, take applesauce. If you freeze strawberry jam, take strawberry jam. If you're not good at any of those things, buy a pound of Wilbur Buds. <laughs> Go to your neighbors. Connect with them. Invite them to church. If you find out that they don't have a church home, begin to care for them in Christ. If that feels awkward to you, you're not sure you want to do it, practice with me. 116 Fleet Line Street. Bake a pie. Come knock on my door. I'll pretend I'm not churched. We'll have a good time together. Anything to help you. Sacrificial as I am. That's what it means. Simple, not hard. Now, that begs another question. Why don't we see people the way Jesus sees them? Well, there are several reasons. One of them is apathy. Apathy is defined as the absence of emotion. It is the lack of interest and concern. Do you remember the definition of people watching? Let me show it to you again because it's very helpful in understanding this. Say it with me. People watching is the act of spending time looking at different kinds of people in a public place because you find this interesting. The reason that we don't share our faith in Christ with others is sometimes we just don't find it interesting. We have apathy. Apathy happens when we stop caring. When we stop behaving as, this, as if the spiritual needs of people are important to us. In fact, we start behaving as if we're universalists. That somehow we think that in the end, everybody will be saved no matter what. And it really doesn't matter whether Jesus died or not. And that's not true, friends. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We have a responsibility to share Christ with others. We need to care for them. Sometimes apathy happens when we lose a sense of urgency. Borrowing a phrase from farming, Jesus says, look at verse 35. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvesting, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now, the reaper draws his wages. Even now, he harvests the crop for eternal life. There's an urgency about sharing Christ with people today. You have no idea whose hearts are ready, and you need to go and share I told you before, and there was a season about a year ago where I had several phone calls. Would I come and visit some older men in the Conestoga, New Danville area? Men who had received a terminal diagnosis. And I didn't know any of these men, but I get the call. So-and-so would like you to come to their house. They've just learned that they're terminally ill. I didn't waste time. I went right away. You never know. And in each of those cases, it was interesting. I would say, why am I here? And they'd say, because I'm dying and I don't know where I'm going, but I know that you can help me with that. And in each of those cases, what a privilege it was to share Christ and to see these men confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. And then eventually when they went to heaven to celebrate their eternal life in Jesus Christ, there is an urgency and we can't be apathetic about it. Secondly, why don't we share Christ as we should? Familiarity. 
You know, the bottom line is we become accustomed to the spiritual condition of people around us and we accept it as normal. He's just a stubborn old bird. His father was like him and his grandfather before him. He won't listen to a word you have to say. And so with that, you decide not to share Christ because after all, he's a stubborn old bird and his father was too and his grandfather before him. We bought a house on Philadelphia Road, Route 7 in Baltimore, where we put our offices for Rosedale Community Church back in the day. And um, there was a neighbor right beside that house, Mr. and Mrs. DeLuca. And when we bought the house, we were told that they go to such and such a church, but they really don't go, that their daughter's Jehovah's Witness, and they don't want to hear anything about religion, so don't try. Okay. I think I swallowed that and internalized that, and so... We're there a couple of years, and somebody asked me if I knew our neighbors. I said, oh, sure. I say hi to them and wave, and, well, you know, where are they with the Lord? And, and I had to admit, I don't know. So I regurgitated what I've been told. Well, you know this and this and that. Yeah, but do you know that for sure, Mike? And I couldn't say I did. All I could say was that I became too familiar with what I said about them. So they used to sit out in the back porch, and so I just started going over there once in a while as I was coming or leaving and starting to talk, and they invited me to sit down. And you know, within a year, both Mr. and Mrs. DeLuca came to faith in Christ. And they loved the Lord, and they loved praying for us and for their church. Sometimes we just become too familiar with what we think is true about someone. Don't do that. Sometimes the reason that we don't share Christ, that we don't see people the way God sees them is because of partiality. Just plain down bias and prejudice. They aren't like me, so therefore I'm not going to talk to them. Really? We need to pray for people, care for people, share with people, regardless of whether they're like us. That was the problem in this story. The the disciples were all over the fact that this is a woman and she is a Samaritan. And Jesus was saying, this is a woman. She's a Samaritan. And I love her. Leads me to one last question today. If your vision has been impaired by any of these problems, you need to ask Jesus to help you see what he sees. You need to open your eyes to the spiritual needs of people around you. But what's the next step after you open your eyes? Look at verses 37 and 38. Jesus continues the farming analogy, and he tells the disciples that he is sending them to people who are ready to be saved. He's saying to them, others have already done the hard work. They've planted the seeds of the gospel, shared the good news, plowed the hearts of those people. You go to them you tell them about Jesus and you watch. They will come to know you. Now, this farming analogy is great. It's sort of like, you know, like, sort of like Ken Meck here uh, his farm in Refton. He does all the work. He plows the fields. He plants the seed. He tends those fields. And then at the very end, harvest time, someone else comes in and they benefit from everything you've done, Ken, at your farm in Refton. And what Jesus is saying here is that's the way it is sometimes when we share Christ with others. There are a whole host of people who go before you to plow the hearts of people, plant the seeds of the gospel, and then sometimes you are privileged to be able to share Christ. And at that moment, that person 
responds and believes and receives Jesus. You know, for 10 years, my Sunday school teachers at Bethel Church plowed my little heart and planted seeds of the gospel. My godly mother and father and grandmother and grandfather planted the seeds and read the Bible stories and raised me to know Jesus. But you know who led me to the Lord? A furloughed missionary by the name of Art Davis from Kenya who happened to be home for three months in Conestoga and was my Bible school teacher. And he reaped the harvest of Mike Sigmund. That's why Jesus says the old saying is true, one sows another reaps. And here's the deal. A lot of us here today, if we're just blatantly honest, say, yeah, this idea of witnessing, sharing my faith, I don't know, I don't, I'm not sure about that. God makes me nervous. And, and I don't know if I can do it, and I think I'm going to be a failure at it. Let me tell you something. No one is ever a failure when you share the love that you have for Jesus and what he has done in your life. Lon Allison, who is the director of the Billy Graham Center in Wheaton, Illinois, he's now with the Lord. He spoke at a couple of conferences that I hosted in. He used to tell us that studies show that it took up to 70 individual people to bring one person to Christ. 70 witnesses, 70 seeds planted, 70 different touches to bring a person to Christ. Let me tell you something. You are never a failure. You might be number 27. You might be number 38. You might be number 52. But you are never a failure. You are one of the sowers that makes it possible for someone someday to be a reaper and to bring someone to a saving knowledge of Jesus. So how do we do this? Practically speaking, we do exactly what the woman did in John 4. We go. We go to the people that we know who do not know Jesus, and we pray for them, and we care for them, and we share Christ with them. That's what she did. Look at the word of God. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town. And when she got there, she shared her story. Look at the word of God. Again, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see the man who told me everything I ever did. That's a lot. Could this be the Christ? People need to hear your story. People who are your your clients, people who are your customers, people who are your classmates, people who are your neighbors, your friends, your family. I'm not talking about being weird. I'm not talking about like dropping the religion bomb in the middle of a conversation that's out of context. I'm talking about genuinely praying for people that you know who need Jesus. I mean praying for them. Asking the Lord to open their hearts. I'm talking about caring for them in genuine ways, not as your project, but as your friend. I'm talking about waiting for the opportunity when God opens the door and you begin to have a conversation. Many of you know the story of my Aunt Janet. She was 95 when she came to Christ. Every conversation we tried to have with her, we'd start to talk about Jesus and she'd start to talk about bowling. Until one day, one day, Good Friday, 2021, she looked at Jenny and she said, so what are you teaching tonight at church? And I'm like, oh, here we go. 
I was so happy because I long for her to know the peace of Jesus Christ in her life. And Jenny shared Jesus with her and she didn't shut her down and we didn't bowl a strike or a spare. We said, did you ever hear that story? Yes. Have you ever believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? No. Would you like to believe today? Yes. Wasn't weird. We prayed for her. We cared about her, not as our project. We cared about her because we love her. You realize I love you. You're not my projects. You're my friends. You're my people. We're a family together. That's what it means. And then when God opens the door, you share Jesus. From the first day that Will and Barbie Martin opened this church and led us as a founding pastoral couple, one of the five values of our church has been passion for evangelism, discipleship, and missions. From the very beginning. First things first. They wanted people to come to know Jesus. You ever wonder why we don't take an offering? Because we recognize that passing the plate in the middle of service, that turned people off. They didn't understand those who were not saved. Why do you need to do that? So let's eliminate every barrier and bring the biblical truth of Christianity to bear so that people come to Christ. First things first. I have been praying all week that I preach this sermon the Lord would bring across your mind and heart faces and names of people for whom he wants you to pray, care, and share. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the power of this story in John chapter 4. Oh my goodness. I thank you that you've included this story for us to hear and to understand and, and by which to be challenged. And I thank you, Lord, that through your word, you do a work in us to change and transform us. And I believe that one of those works that you want to do is the work of opening our eyes to the people around us who need this precious gift of salvation that we experience and have in our lives. And so I pray that you would bring names and faces across the minds and hearts of everyone here today. And that out of this service, we would go back to pray, care, and share Christ with those that we know who need you. In Jesus' name.